Of course, in today's time, we know exactly what a Christian looks like, right? There's no debate. We all look exactly the same. We all agree the same on every topic. There's no conflict whatsoever. Definitely not in our churches, definitely not in our United Methodist denomination. So today we're just, this is a history lesson, really. You know, there's no really real life application today at all. Um, But before I I read it, I want to be clear. So we're talking about conflict and uh, the conflict, they really weren't harming one another. And so sometimes when we talk about conflict, I'm talking about gentleness and different things. That doesn't apply to every conflict you have because sometimes there's conflict you encounter that is harmful. Um, And so often in scripture, you kind of have to carve with a scalpel. And so um, this isn't going to apply to every situation, but for this particular um, isolated situation, it, it does work. So let's go ahead and get in the text. It's Galatians 6, 1 through 10. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you have, uh, you who have, uh, it's been a long morning, y'all, <laughs> you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap what you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as I think about the church in Galatia, and I know they're, they've got these two different sides fighting, I wonder how do they even determine who is a transgressor? Like, if they're not agreeing on things, if, like, who's breaking the law or acting unfaithful, then, then how do they solve that? Because they've got different ways of being faithful. They've got different ways of worshiping God. So it has to be confusing. It's probably infuriating to all the parties because there's finger pointing, there's accusations, there's blame, there's arguing. Probably a lot of wasted time as they're trying to think, well, you did this wrong. You did this wrong. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there's over 40,000 Christian denominations. So clearly we're not going to agree on everything. As I mentioned before, even in the, in the United Methodist Church, we have different beliefs. Among your Sunday school classes, your small groups, even among the staff here, we have slightly different theology from one another. Is that a big problem? We can certainly let it be. While Paul has a little beef with others influencing the work he did, his biggest issue is the way we handle this conflict, how we've been treating one another. So that's why he immediately says, gentleness, we have to have gentleness. If you're familiar with the book of Galatians, you were to flip back a chapter, you'd see the the fruits of the spirit and gentleness is in there. And so Paul gets tired of like, look, the church is supposed to look different. You are supposed to be changed and, and living in the spirit and how we handle conflict, how you treat others has got to look different. It will show how the spirit is working in your lives. So we know we worship different. We know we have different beliefs on different topics. 
So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? So what does gentleness mean? Does gentleness mean Christians always have to be nice? What does nice even mean anymore? Is it about the words we use or do we pretend like there isn't conflict? Is that the nice thing to do? If you're familiar with Paul and his letters, he was very well versed in addressing conflict. Almost every letter he writes to a church is addressing some aspect of conflict. So I think gentleness may be more about the way we actually view each other. You're not my enemy. We're connected. And at some level, my faith tells me I need you and you need me. Others aren't people to conquer And so we approach one another with gentleness, even if we have strong points or thoughts and those conflict. Coming at one another with a lack of gentleness is not how we win. That's certainly not how we win disciples. One of my favorite podcasts is Pantsuit Politics. Two women coming from different political perspectives. And you know what? They approach each other with gentleness, and they view one another gentleness. And because they do, they can actually hear one another. Sometimes they change their opinions, sometimes not. But what's really fascinating, and you may have discovered this too, is that often when people are arguing, they actually agree on the same thing. They just have different ways of getting to that. Now, if podcasts are not your thing, or politics, you just don't want to go there, may I suggest... How do dinosaurs stay friends? (laughs) Quick read, but it's a great book on teaching how do you stay friends with people that maybe you have conflict with? How do you act? How do you treat them? Great for two and a half year olds and their 37 year old mother. But no, really, it is a, a really good book. And so I think to be the change, we start with a posture of gentleness. Okay, as we continue on, Paul addresses something about burdens. So Paul is reminding like, look, you all believe the same thing, the main thing you all agree on. And so clearly something connects us all to one another. There should be something that unites you all. If we're living in this spirit, this love of neighbor, this care, this concern should rise up in us. So Paul is doing his best. Like, look, you are supposed to care about others around you, even if they have different beliefs, different ways of practicing their devotion because we're this big tent, we're this family. We uplift and we celebrate, but we also feel the burdens of our fellow neighbor. Even if that burden does not impact us personally, we have no direct connection to it or we don't experience it, the burden, the heaviness that someone goes through, we should feel that. When someone hurts, when they experience grief or confusion or stress or worry or fear, We should feel that too. Again, even if we don't really understand it, maybe we don't fully agree on what's going on, we do our best to extend grace and love and we're gentle. So many of you may know this or you may not, but I grew up in Kansas and I grew up in a town, it wasn't a farm town, just wanna, not not all of us are farmers that grew up in Kansas, okay? I don't even know, personally know a farmer. But I do feel like I was kind of isolated because there really wasn't any diversity in my town. Everyone kind of looked like me. We all kind of had the same kind of life, at least what I thought from the outside. And because of that, I feel like I just didn't know a lot. Maybe that's because we didn't have Google. We didn't have the internet like we do now. That's when we 
got internet in the mail on a disc and made funny sounds. We couldn't use a phone and we had cool screen names like musicals. That was mine. So, and so I think the internet, you know, it, it, uh, it's a curse, but it's a blessing because it does open my eyes to people that have completely different experiences than I do. I, bring, I love the attention it brings because there's a lot of things I would never know based on my location and who I am. And I certainly want my children, to, as they grow up, to know that a world exists outside their own experiences. And I'm personally thankful, I don't know about you, I'm thankful for the way that young people today seem to have been awakened and care so much more about things than I ever did at their age. I feel like they're aware of others' pain and suffering. I love that. And so to be the change, we lean into listening. So that means we can't just be about ourselves. We can't worry or care, care only about our family, our little community, those in our church, those in this state or country, those that look like us, believe like us, or vote like us. This is how we love our neighbor. See, I'm thankful, again, for the younger generation that have this deep passion and care for one another, that they speak up or speak out for those on the margins. They want inclusion. They invite one another into conversation. I see them taking on the burdens of others that have nothing to do with them, that they never experienced that. But they say, essentially, look, you're not alone in this. I've got you. That's really inspiring to me. And I hope to teach my three children that. So one thing that Paul is really good about as well is while he points out maybe there is some fault in some of his letters, he's also very good at reminding people that maybe you need to look inside your own heart, some self-examination. And he was telling this to both sides. Like, it may seem like he's saying, oh, well, don't be like them, keep your distance, but really it's like, no, think about where you might have some work to do. Kind of reminds me of something Jesus said about a log and a speck. When it comes to comparing ourselves to others or pointing out how wrong they are is, again, not living in the Spirit. And I think even in this church, this ancient church, and today, we're going around saying to one another, but we're the real Christians. We have it figured out. We've made some list, and if you don't check these boxes, then maybe you're out. You're disqualified. And Paul's like, look, going around saying you have it figured out or that you're better is... Well, it's wrong. <laughs> it's not focusing on Christ. And yet, another dinosaur book. We don't eat our classmates. <laughs> wrong way. Penelope has a really hard time making friends. And her dad asks, maybe it's because you're trying to eat your classmates. And she thinks, hmm, maybe that's the problem. And so I love that even this simple book says, maybe you need to look at where you're at fault. So to be the change, we open ourselves to accountability. And maybe after that hard work of self-examination, we might find we're in the wrong. That maybe we think, huh, I never thought of it that way. Huh, okay. You might change your opinion. You may not. I don't know. But I think it's worth thinking about yourself for a moment. So this last section, as we start to close out this scripture, it's about sowing and reaping. 
And Paul has called them out, look, like if you're going to behave this way, this is what you're going to reap. Stop sowing argument and harshness and unforgiving in churches that aren't gentle and kind because you're not going to make disciples that way. See, the spirit of this church really struggled, and I think we do too. We do too. Because I look out in the world, I read the news, and I think, gosh, what's the future going to be like for my three kids? So we reap what we sow. So what are we sowing? What can I sow this week that maybe I or maybe my kids one day far from now will reap? Will they be happy with the harvest I'm preparing for them? I don't know. And these questions aren't meant to guilt or shame us, but rather to invite us to consider how our actions today will shape our homes, our communities, and our world tomorrow. And so to be the change we live preparing for a harvest. And it's going to be really easy for us to say, well, let the younger ones figure it out. I'm too old to change. But we're called to this work. We must prepare and work for the harvest we want to see. It will not happen overnight. It will take a lot of effort. But we do that because, well, the last verse kind of says it. So then whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all. The good of all. And especially for those of the family of faith. See, I pray and I hope that we can all be that change that we can take a good look at what is going around and say, change needs to happen and let's work together. That we'd realize, you know what? We probably want the same things. That root thing, that, that core thing, we probably want, we just have different ways. So how can we work together despite those differences? And I hope we listen and we're gentle along the way. And most of all, that the change that we are moving toward, that change that we're fighting for, is for the good of all people, not just some. And so church, let's be the change. Let's be the change together because that's what we are called to do. Amen.